So let's take a minute to talk about the Quantum Week podcast. It's a podcast that takes a random week in history and talks about the movies, music, and headlines that make that week unique. June 28th to July 4th, 1992. You ready for this? This is... Yeah. I, I have to listen to this because I have so many questions about this pairing. The number one film was A League of Their Own. Yes. Number one song? Baby's Got Back. Oh, but see, again, that's like a perfect <laughs> definition of me. Like, that is like, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> right yeah, there. Yeah, that's really, it's true. I mean, all the way May meets her mix a lot. That is a good week. This show is like everything I love. I'm going to leave this show and go to their show. Yeah, you should. Terminator <laughs> and Caribbean Queen. Okay, see, that's a good pairing. You know, of all the oceans in the world, <laughs> Billy is still my favorite. Uh, so you can find Quantum Week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you happen to get your podcasts. Why is recorded in front of a live studio audience? Oh, God, how do we do this? So, okay, well, so Damon's career has been fantastic he's got incredible solo work that he's done he has played with his basically a kid's dream of, of of playing for one of his favorite bands of all time and that story is a great one which here's the problem mm -hmm. with us doing this this way is i want to tell all the stories which i know ruin the show that's true do we just do our normal jackassery to start it and then maybe or do we just well, maybe we should at least do this. Let's at least, especially for this one, because it's the first one, Right. Let's at least tell our listeners that we have a new show and what the new show is about. Okay, that's good. Should we, we start this all over again? I don't know. It seems kind of fitting okay. that we would do it the way I we're know. doing it right now. <laughs> this is Why, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. Hello, kitties. Welcome to the program. Um, it feels weird saying that for why, doesn't it? It does. Feel like this weird. is not our it's not. MO. No, well, we don't have to say it for why. We can. No. We can, we can do it, it for the new show, right? Yeah, for the new show. Which is our way of, which is our way of saying to everybody, thanks for coming along on this journey. We've got a new project in the works. Yeah. And we're not ending this journey. We oh. still will be journeying with you. Oh, we're taking you on through. two journeys simultaneously now. Right. It's but this one's a musical journey. It is. As as you two might say. Yes. Not not you yourself, the our Irish fellows. Well, I might say it. That's true. Um so and probably our listener Larry Mullen, number one yes. fan in Dublin. Right, Thank you for, for listening and, and spreading the good word. Both June um, senior. Yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly uh so we've got a new show coming and we're going to be pushing it and and telling people telling you i don't know people mm -hmm. sounds like we're just at the bus stop handing out flyers we might be you bet you may yeah, see us true. at your local bus stop hey handing out yeah. flyers stickers whatnot mm -hmm. should we tell them the name of the show probably if we want them to listen it would be a good idea It'd be easier to find it that way it would it? it would be 
do you want to tell them or would you like me to tell them? No, you tell them. You, you do it. This is why it's a good thing we're not married because if we were trying to <laughs> tell our children something, they'd never know it. Oh, you go first. Oh, you go first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the name of the show is, is Rock and Roll Grad School. Um, the reason we're having this show is from feedback from our listeners and our guests about all the great music artists we've been fortunate to have and that maybe they needed their own little land um, and to make room for a few more of the unusual people that we bring them into Y land. So now we've got two lands. And that's why we've called you here today. Yes. Right. So no. Mm-hmm. This is an intervention, but Damon is sort of a perfect, uh, he kind of, I don't know if he would like this term straddles the fence. It sounds uncomfortable, it does. but uh, he kind of fits both of these things as someone with a bunch of really cool stories. Uh, the idea of living out a childhood dream is something that's so wonderful and seems like a very, the kind of person we hope to cultivate on why mm-hmm. I feel like that's our, our dream guest who says, I wanted to do this since I was 11. That's yep. that means you're doing something right. And, or the authorities should probably be called either or one of those two. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is a great chance for, for us to tell those stories and we'll be reposting some of our music interviews from why on this new show. So you get a chance to listen to them again, mm-hmm. but we're not going to do that a lot. We're going to be going in deep and really the show is a celebration of music. Would we call it that? Yes, it is. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so we'll be talking to musicians, critics, songwriters, groupies, fans, authors, com- authors, composers, conductors, uh, the whole bit. And we're going to still yeah. keep it in like the spirit of why. So it's not going to be your typical because well, we're hosting the show. Well, it is. <laughs> but I can yeah. hear our mothers out there saying there's an awful lot of music podcasts out there, Heidi and Luke. What, mm, what makes you different? True. So it'll be us. We'll... Right. So will you please welcome to the show our mothers yeah. to explain why our show is going to be different? <gasps> right. No, we'll save that. That's the next big break. <laughs> right. No, but I feel like if you listen to why, if you've listened to us this far, you kind of get that we prefer to have an interview and a conversation with our guests that might not be the same thing Terry Gross is asking these folks. Correct. By the way, if that any of our nudists end up on Terry Gross, I'm going to be furious. I know, right? Yeah. I'm going down to the studio and mm. tell her off. Um yeah, no, David Cooley best watches back when he's parking his car. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but I think this is a perfect chance to um, just talk more and celebrate more. And there's no genre we're going to be focusing in on. We're going to try to keep it all over the place, much like we did with Why or have with Why. Why am I talking to Pat? I know. Stop. Stop putting our. I know. Our show to bed. Our show is not leaving. Why? No. Why is, is still there? Why will always be there for you? There's going to be a yes. sad basset hound in your feed for years to come. Congratulations on the new record. I was just listening to it again, uh, getting ready here, and it's very good. Thank you, guys. I'm I'm beyond thrilled. Uh, I'm so proud of it, and I've said it a few times already. It's uh, I feel like in a lot of ways, it's the record I would have wanted to make when I was 19. 
20 years old, you know, just consumed with hard rock at that moment. You know, it was before my career path took me into so many other genres and types of things. You know, there was right out of high school and starting junior college. All I wanted to know about was was Van Halen, Thin Lizzy, <laughs> Aerosmith, Led Zeppelin, Judas Priest, uh, you know, Black Sabbath. So uh, I feel like this is in, a, in its own way kind of uh, my tribute to that that time period. I, I guess this is not much of an assumption. It seems like a record designed to be played very loud. Because yeah. that's when it sounds best. 100%. I agree with you, Luke. It does, <laughs> it does sound the best turned up loud. Um, I don't know if it said, maybe I'm some weird kind of narcissist, but I still am enjoying listening to the record myself. And, you know, uh, three songs, uh, Battle Lessons, Can't Clap Any Louder, and Let the Healing Begin. I mean, I've had those on my phone since April, you know, like, so I've had, they've been sitting around a long time. And of course it, it was over the course of the year that we, you know, with the challenges with the schedule and COVID and lockdowns and it was, it's just been a, it's been a, certainly a unique path. Let's say that for sure to, yeah. to get from beginning to end of making a record, but it's, it's been worth it. You know, it's been yeah. worth it. And that's how you know it's right, right? If you love your own work, you know it's right because you're we're always our worst critic. It's not being narcissistic, I don't think. I think we're just naturally critics. I love what you said. I love what you said right there. Yeah, if you love your own work. And look, I've been doing this a long time. I've made a lot of records. And I just think it does say something about the quality of the songs, the strength of the songs themselves and the performances you know, for me to be that excited about it. Cause look, I, I stand beside every record I've ever put out. I wasn't necessarily still listening to it, you know, months after the recording or, or even weeks sometime, you know, I'd already moved on to something else. Okay. So uh, I'm having, a, I'm having a great time listening to this. It seems sort of a, a, a little bit different than a lot of guitarists or folks who are known as guitarists playing with other people. So many, it seems like this record in particular, the key to every single song is the songwriting that it's super oh. hooky, these sort of earwormy songs. How do you, I don't want to say, how do you do that? Cause that's a little bit of a deductive thing, but <laughs> are you always writing? Are you always looking for that next riff that just sticks in your craw and stays there? I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity-filled paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. I mean, I guess the short answer is yes. You know, I definitely, uh, b from having a family and having other things that require your time and your focus, I guess I do approach it in shifts. It'll be like, okay, look, I need to put some time in with the guitar and, and get some ideas developing. But, you know, I did lay a new idea down on my phone a couple of days ago, you know, like it just 
came out of nowhere. Like, well, I should, I should capture that and I can revisit it later. But um, I'm going to borrow your phrase, Luke, earwormy songs. I love that. I love mm-hmm. that because that does go all the way back to the beginnings for me, especially when Brother Kane, which is really my first real band and first efforts as a songwriter. The song just has to be there. Brother Kane had its success because of good songs. Black Star Writers had its success because of good songs. Look, it's great to have flashy players and guys that are technical and can blow minds. And, you know, look, I enjoy that stuff as much as anybody. You don't walk away singing guitar solos. Mm -hmm. You walk away singing lyrics and melodies. So I... You know, I, I am always flattered when people mention my name uh, in context with some players that I enjoy and, and look up to myself. Everybody from Richie Kotzen to Joe Bonamassa to Steve Vai. Somebody said, you know, Eddie Van Halen, of course, man, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But the passion for me, the place where I want to make my mark is I want to be known as a songwriter that's a, that's a skilled guitar player. Like Peter Frampton, you know, mm-hmm. like Hendrix, you know, Hendrix changed. He blew minds and he changed lives. But that guy was a fantastic songwriter, incredible lyrics and stories and arrangements and melodies. So um, I'm always great, grateful when somebody says, hey, man, will you play on this thing? And I want you to shred and just just go for it. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to. That'll be fun. But to me, the measurement is always, it comes back to the, to the songs. What's your favorite song of all time? You brought it up. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite song. Well, there's just so many and I have a real answer to your question. Um, You know, and that answer changes from time to time. So I want to, I want to be thoughtful about it um i would say probably the greatest song to me of all time god this is so difficult one of them would i would probably say um the weight by robbie robertson and the band um you know (laughs) not not rock, not hard rock, not, it has nothing to do with anything that I, I certainly recorded on this album, but, you know, I hold that band in such regard and obviously Robbie did the heavy lifting as you know, with the writing, but I mean, just you, we could all three sit here for three hours and I could name a hundred other songs. That definitely, yeah, that, that would be in my top five, whatever the other four are, that one's in there. As a songwriter, when somebody like, I mean, again, the people who've recorded stuff you've written, you've got Stevie Nicks, you've got Ted Nugent, you've got Santana. Do you talk with them about it? Are you there when they record it? Or do you just get a weird looking shawl in the mail and just go, huh, I guess Stevie recorded that. <laughs> um, that's a great question. And each of those songs happened in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with like Ted Nugent, and Sammy Hagar, the guys in Queensryche and Skid Row, you know, I, I was in the room with them and we were mm-hmm. like working on it together. 
in the case of Stevie Nicks uh, and the song Every Day, uh, I know I've yet to meet Stevie, guys. I would love to. Uh, but she heard she heard a recording of my song that uh, myself and my friend John Shanks, uh, massive talent and successful producer and writer. We had written it together and demoed it at John's house. And he, he heard the following week through his management, I guess, that Stevie was making a record and, and looking for some more songs. And I think he sent her a CD with like 12 or 15 things on it. And she picked that one. And, uh, you know, that was, um, it's hard to quantify what that was like for me from just a, what a compliment to have Mm -hmm. one of the great writers of our era of the rock era want to record something that I wrote, you know, it's a, it's a lyric I wrote about my wife who's upstairs right now, mm-hmm. making sure the kids are still on their virtual school. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, you can't, I don't think I could have manufactured that. You know, there was never any thought of like, oh, this would be good for Stevie Nicks, or I'm going to write this for Stevie. I was writing it for myself. I thought about, you know, like I need some songs for whatever my next record is. Now, if my research is right, Sunday, July 15th, 1979, you were watching a double bill of Thin Lizzy and Ted Nugent. You were 15? 15. What is going through your mind as you're watching this? Never mind, oh, I'd love to be in that band. Just watching those two acts perform at arguably the height of their careers. What are you thinking? I remember what the outside of the venue looked like because I think I had only been to one concert prior to that ever uh, back in, I think, January or February of that year. And my friend's dad dropped us off out front and we were walking in and the big sign out front, you know, with those white lights and it scrolls the <laughs> the thing across the sign, you know, coming tonight, Ted Nugent. And it said with very special guest, Thin Lizzy. I had heard the boys are back in town a little, but I had no idea about Thin Lizzy. And I certainly wasn't prepared for what was about to happen. And so, you know, the whole concert experience was still so new for me that every every second of it was a thrill, you know, walking in the door, giving the guy my ticket, him tearing it and handing it back to me, the smell, you know, tons of weed in there, you know, it was just, and I was a nerdy school kid, you know, I, I didn't smoke pot or even drink at that point, you know, so everything was just, wow, 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 wow. So take that. And then, 30 minutes later, we're standing on the floor. The lights go down. These two giant, you know, police sirens, lights start spinning. The smoke has filled the entire arena. And this band called Thin Lizzy kicks off this riff. And everything changed. Everything changed. Um, Yeah. You know, the power of that song, the power of Phil Linett's star quality. And then this guy standing next to him with hair down to his knees in a Les Paul. <laughs> 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 it's just, 
it just it just informed everything that came after for me that moment way more than Ted Nugent you know who I was obsessed with like all the rest of us were but I was never going to swing from a rope in a loincloth and uh, (laughs) most of us (laughs) there was no way I was ever going to sing a song called wang dang sweet (laughs) poon come on I'm a cat scratch fever girl person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was just so much within Thin Lizzy that I could connect with and relate to. And, you know, and it starts to feed that voice in your head of like, I could do that. I would mm-hmm. want to do that. I would want to sing that. I would want to wear that. I would want to play like that. All those things. So the way you just described that gave me goosebumps because I could feel all of it like part you know partially because you're a wonderful storyteller partially because I miss going to concerts but I could feel it and could feel that excitement and that and no moments like that in my life what did it feel like when you fast forward and you get that call that this is going to be a reality yeah yeah um you know there were some tears not gonna lie yeah there were some tears of joy. There were some tears of disbelief of just how does this happen? You know, cause I thought of my friends that I went to the show with Steve and Aubrey and David. And if I could have turned to them and said, by the way, guys, I'm going to be in that band one day. I'll be a member of that band. Come on, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> it would be so great if you'd done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, just no way of knowing that. And it has extra currency for me, guys, because I did come from such a rural place, you know, tiny town. Everything mm-hmm. we knew about concerts only came from two places the radio station that played mostly pop music of the day, but it would play a little rock and it would promote the shows. And the other was magazines, you know, Cream and Circus and Hit Parader and seeing the pictures and reading the interviews. And of course, now we all know so much of that stuff got sensationalized and, you know, but it was working. It worked on us. You know, we were we were obsessed. So, yeah, to get the call to with Lizzie, it's still even when someone asks, Hey man, tell us that story. It, it's still, there are things, there are components of it that are unbelievable. Like it just, how does that happen? Why do, you know, um, it it was, you know, my mom said, well, Damon, that's like a dream come true for, for you. And I said, mom, it never, I didn't dream I would join Thin Lizzy. That, that can't happen. It's unfathomable to think like that. Um, you dream of playing those songs. And I had, you know, every band I was ever in since then covered Jailbreak and the boys are back in town. Um, so um, I'll tell you guys part of that story that I don't know that I've told maybe anyone uh, because there's a personal component to it, but I was in the Alice Cooper band in 2011. My wife and I were really struggling in our marriage. Uh, We'd been married about eight years and 
nine years and, and we had two kids and I was on the road all the time and it was hard. It was really hard. And we were separated at that time. And I was, I was on the road with Alice. I had come home and I, I had told her, you know, Hey, we played with then Lizzie and it was cool. She's like, Oh my God, I know you love that. And, and, you know, a couple of weeks later, I got the call from then Lizzie's manager saying, Hey, your name is on a super short list. Uh, we're looking for, you know, and out of commitment to Alice, who I respect and I, you know, he, we were in the middle of a tour and with everything that was going on with, with, in my personal life, I was like, man, that this would just be too much chaos. I, I'm, you know, and I passed. You're a very good man. I passed. <laughs> I passed. You know, I said, guys, I'm so humbled that you would ask, but you know, Alice is in the middle of a tour. I think we were getting ready to literally go to Australia and, and, uh, I'll never forget, I was standing in the parking lot of this restaurant and I had called Linda and I said, oh, by the way, I passed on that Thin Lizzy thing. And even with everything we had going on in our life, she goes, that's a bad idea. She goes, you can't turn that down. She goes, that's all you've, she goes, that's all you talked about when I first met you. That's all every band you've been in, you cover those songs. She goes, I said, well, what about Alice? She goes, Damon, Alice has had 35 guitar players in his life. He's going to be fine. <laughs> so she taught, you know, she, she, uh, she taught me into calling him back and saying, you know, let's revisit this. So, uh, and everything worked out. That's in so many ways. Yeah. Everything worked That's out. Amazing. And not only are you, part of the band you then start writing songs you guys decide you know that you want to leave thin lizzy as what they were and and start a new group like you are now such an integral part of that band's history and it's sort of like well here's the film line at era and then here's where they did some other stuff i mean yeah. again just as a writer what's that like sitting down being like how do you shut that part of your brain off where you're going oh my god i'm writing for <laughs> this band <laughs> well you know the the great thing about that experience guys is i had a partner in the form of ricky warrett the singer you know who was fronting thin lizzy and you know ricky is the singer in black star writers and ricky is a tremendous songwriter guys a proper writer uh kind of this good blend between you know the poetry of a phil Linet and the punk rock analogy of a joe strummer you know, um, I learned so much from Ricky. He and I both grew up passionate Thin Lizzy fans, me in Alabama and him in Belfast, which, of course, Lizzie was from Ireland. So when it first came down that, you know, when Scott had said, hey, I want to write some more songs, some new songs at that moment. And you may know this, Luke. Originally, it was going to be another Thin Lizzy record. We were gonna mm. we were gonna make a record, call it Thin Lizzy with brand new songs. Now, that would have been a bad idea <laughs> for for reasons that we all know. Almost and, as bad as turning down joining them. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, you just can't. I mean, Phil was such a, a, a mammoth. He occupied so much real estate in 
the art that that band created. It just wouldn't be right to call it Thin Lizzy without Phil's contribution mm -hmm. as an artist. So uh, we did the right thing to change the names. But in the beginning, um, you know, Ricky and I were operating with a little bit of fear. That really drove us. Like, well, even if we do create a new name, you know, we're still going to be in the vein of Thin Lizzy and songs like that and those that kind of sound, you know, the songs better be good or we are going to get barbecued in the press. We're going to get barbecued by the fans. And that was a fact. That wasn't panic or paranoia. That's exactly what would have happened, guys, if we mm -hmm. hadn't delivered a good record. So together the two of us you know we did the heavy lifting scott brought in a couple riffs and we we molded those into some good songs and um but that was an incredible experience you know another great moment and there's no question that making those three albums and writing so many good songs with ricky it fueled what i'm doing now mm -hmm. you know because you know then so much travel still on the road all the time in another country. Most of Thin Lizzy's touring guys is not in North America. Sure. Most, America. most of it's across the pond. And, yeah. you know, you can't just jump a flight and come home for a couple of days in the middle of the tour. It's just not sustainable. So, um, you know, I'm grateful for the, the love and the respect that I got from the guys in the band when I told them, Hey, I'm, I'm going to make a move and I'm going to, I'm going to do my own thing. And uh, because I wouldn't be here without specifically the black star writers experience, you know, I'd, I'd probably keep making solo records cause I've done a few and some acoustic stuff. And I've been a little meandering, I think artistically with those solo records, but as you can tell between uh, my memoirs of an uprising from two years ago and now battle lessons, there's a, there's a style, there's a direction, there's a focus, there's a sound that's starting to, to come together guys and i'm i'm as thrilled about that as any any music i've created at any point in my life so and the good. records credit credited to damon johnson and the get ready who can you talk a bit about the the folks that make up the get ready yes i would love to i would love to the get ready the get ready is my five star world-class talented drummer and bass player Robbie Harrington on bass and Jared Pope on drums. And, um, you know, I've known these guys for well over a decade. Jared and I actually played together in a country, like a modern country project I did way back in uh, 2007. He was the touring drummer with that group. And uh, so that's when he came, when he crossed my path. And, you know, we hit it off straight away with just our influences and our commitment to, you know, good musicianship and practicing, you know, that, that kind of mindset. And uh, I guess in a way it's kind of ironic that Robbie and Jared both, I met them in country outfits or situations and they're two of the most hardest rocking badasses <laughs> I've, I've ever, I've ever played music with, you know? Um, I remember guys when I decided to, I was going to focus on my solo thing. I had one rule. And that was whoever's in my band has to live in Nashville, period. No more flights for rehearsals, no more transcontinental 
nothing. It's it's just not sustainable. Like mm. everybody's got to be here, and that was the right. Uh, I think that was the right edict, if that's the right word, to to lay out. Like, all right, this is how it's got to be, just to run my little independent business. You know, independent artist. Mm-hmm. And I could have never dreamed that I would have a band this great. You know, guys of this caliber that brings as much to the table as they do. And, uh, you know, the other beautiful thing is that also in Nashville is Nick Rasculinix, my producer, my manager, Kevin Lee, his company is right here in Nashville. Kevin, by the way, gets credit for the name, the get ready. Uh, he had said to me, cause I'd played in the demos of the new stuff and he's like, wow, this is, this is going to be strong. He said, what would you think about, you know, a band name, you know, Nick cave and the bad seeds, uh, Neil Young and Crazy Horse, you know where I'm going with this. Stevie Ray and Double Trouble. Um, so, you know, we got together one day at his office and he had 20 ideas. I had 20 and we just started bouncing them back and forth. And he said, Damon Johnson in the Get Ready. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wow. What was that again? <laughs> so, uh, it's a good name. It's a strong name. You know, I, I think yeah. I feel like there's a there's obviously a there's a powerful component to it, but there's also um it's fun too. Yeah, like there's a celebratory nature to it. It's it, it it's a pronouncement. Like, hey, this is this isn't this isn't your mother's rock band right here. This is get ready for this. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. What's it like recording an album during this time with COVID and the distancing and everything? Is there any well, difference? Well, it's strange. Uh, it's strange in that it just everything got so protracted from a time standpoint. Um, you know, uh, there were challenges for everyone and not the least of which was challenges for Nick because Nick has his own studio. And the way a studio stays in business is to have clients coming in and making records and recording. And back in March, all of that stopped. I mean, dead stopped. In Nashville, there was a literal shelter in place order. So you couldn't go anywhere. And of course, rightfully so, you know, Nick produces big bands, guys. You know, the only reason he didn't produce Memoirs of an Uprising, he was working with Alice in Chains. And after that, he did Mastodon and he did Evanescence and Hailstorm. So these are big bands with big record companies and big infrastructure. They can't afford for their singers to get sick. They can't afford for anybody to get sick. And there was so much about COVID we still didn't know. So um, I wouldn't want to make another record this way just because it's more efficient, you know, to have Mm -hmm. a three-week block. All right, we're going to track, you know, pre-production, get the songs together, work with Nick. He'll, He'll direct us, lay down the tracks, do the overdubs, do the mix, done. Every other record, you know, I've made, what, 15 records in my life. Every single other one of them were done that way. And this one was not, you know. It took uh, it took literally about nine months to, to get all nine songs recorded, get it, ma- you know, mixed and mastered. So that's the answer to your question, Luke, about how mm-hmm. do you make a record in, in, you know, COVID and quarantine, it's a, 
it's not ideal, but hey, man, we got it done. So, you know, you're right. you're getting me at this moment of literal like euphoria. I'm just like, yes, yes. Oh my god, how long it took. It's done. What, amazing. What a pain! What a pain in the ass that was. <laughs> right. It's got to be killing you to have this record, to have this band, and not be able to take it out right now. It's are, how are you guys. How are you guys kind of staying as tight as you are on the album? It's killing all of us, man. It's really, it's really rough on the guys, you know, because they're both working other jobs, you know, sure. jobs mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with playing music. And, um, you know, and here we are, end of January, and we still don't really know. Yeah. We don't know. Everybody talks. Everybody's got ideas. Everybody hopes and wishes. And yes, the vaccine is positive. And, you know, I know there's challenges there, but by all means, man, let's go. Give me those shots. Let's get it done. Even after that, we still don't know what what the landscape is going to look like for performers and fans and audiences and venues. So, uh, I, you know, I'm stating the obvious guys, we're living in historical times, yeah. uh, you know, so uh, we'll see. All I all I have committed to my family and to the guys in the band is I'm going to work harder than ever before to spread the word, talk about the record. Uh, hey, man, I I sold a couple of guitars so we can make a video and, you know, hire another publicist, you know, whatever it takes, yeah. you know, we're going to figure mm-hmm. it out. We're going to figure it out because the music is, is quality. And, um, I do believe that whatever attention we can bring to the record is only going to serve us well, whenever we do get the green light, uh, you know, cause sure. people, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, in this time period, guys, I've been so fulfilled and, and just, uh, kind of fortified by, the reaction I'm getting from fans because they see us working hard. They see us doing live streams. They see me posting on social media, just interacting. And um, I try to kind of, you know, walk a balance between bringing attention to myself and the record and try not to come off like a carnival barker, you know. Like. <laughs> carnival barker is the last thing I think we've described. <laughs> you know, you know, come and see, come and see the dog faced boy. One of the things that I don't know that I've seen, you know, I'm always we're always trying to find sort of the beauty in these situations, just like you found the beauty of, of bringing this album to life. One of the things that I'm hoping comes out of this with my, as the fortune teller at this carnival we're all at, (laughs) is I feel that now people can start to rediscover music, truly rediscover it, truly listen to the album because now you're at home. And so you're going to go through sort of the process we used to go through of looking at the tracks and listening to it as a, piece instead of we're in the car oh that song i like that title oh let's listen to this one now and so i think when it does open up everyone's going to have a little bit of that revitalized love on a deeper level and be ready to rock out that's beautiful that's beautiful i i I love that thought Um, i think i I think it's true well that's you know that's energizing for me to hear uh, a prediction like that, because I, I agree with you. And, and I believe that, 
Damon Johnson and the Get Ready's new album, Battle Lessons, is available starting tomorrow, February 19th. For more information, you can check out his website, which is damonjohnson.com. You can follow us on all the various socials. Our website is whythepodcast.com and has all sorts of additional stories and videos. It's also where you can sign up for our newsletter. We're also on YouTube if you're into that kind of thing. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes, because if you don't, We'll call your mother and tell her that she's completely right. You would look so much prettier if you smiled more. Why the Podcast is part of Mudhouse Media. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sovey and Sandy Stone. Our willing executive producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Chenette. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mastonen. The theme song is performed by the Electrosynth O Magnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Nigel, is that you? Are you here, Nigel?